Doing it live on a Christmas in February, National Signing Day for Buckeye fans, and this was a good one, and we've got a lot of dialogue to get to. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, all sorts of fun. We'll get some hoops towards the end of the show, get some Ask Us Anythings as well, uh, but we begin with National Signing Day, and my friend, before I go any further, um, as I've, I've been in it covering it for so many years uh, on a year in year out basis in the lead up to it and having done it in the South and in Columbus and just seeing how big, big, big operations handle signing day uh, from your perspective as somebody who has, has viewed it from your prism national signing day to you is what? Uh, it's, it's a grind. I mean, it, you know, I, as much as I enjoy it, I love seeing all the guys sign in. It's exciting and it's fun to see and speculate on what the Ohio state football team is going to look like in the future. But I see the work that is put in by, you know, our reporters and guys like Andrew and all these other. And I just I know how exhausting it is to be beholden to the whims of teenagers making life decisions. And uh, I just it's a grind, man. And it's impressive. Like, I just I, I think it's amazing how everybody kind of gets motivated and geared up for it. And I think that's really impressive. But. I just think of the massive amount of work that goes into it, and it's 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 really it's interesting. It's definitely a grind. Um, the end results. Yeah, but great. real quick on that before you go any further, because I would I will say that in in when you say it's a grind for our guys, um, this is one of the few things. This and a coaching change is one of the few things that you can actually still break. This is right. one of the few things that it's actually really important that that we at Eleven Warriors are really good at. Yeah. Right is recruiting and signing day like that is an recruiting is the lifeblood one of the lifebloods of of a college football predominantly college football site i mean that is so vital and and so when you say the grind i don't know if people realize just what that is um so i just wanted to point that out because there aren't there's not that much left in sports that you in terms of news that you can still break there just isn't (laughs) because more and more teams are breaking their own news so in terms of stuff that you can still break in the context you could make, kind of the, it's almost like the old way of reporting, Johnny, like yeah. 20, 15, 20 years ago when I got into it, where you, you worked sources and you got information and you broke stories. Recruiting is one of those things that's like that, and there aren't many left. So I just wanted to point that out for people who maybe um, aren't, aren't familiar with how you know the media has changed and evolved over the last 15, 20 years in terms of uh, the way it's covered. But signing day is covered old school. I think that's a I think that's an excellent point because not only do you have to do all the really important work of reporting and things like that and getting sources but you also have to be like not a douchebag you know like it's like cultivating sources and relationships with people is a really important part of the recruiting oh, business is. and I I appreciate that I appreciate that you have yeah. to be friendly Huge. and understandable like that's great and Look, I mean, as someone who talks to teenagers for a living, it can be difficult, and they are very fickle sometimes, and yeah. it's it's a really interesting job in a lot of ways. Um, you've got, like, there's just so many ways that it can go wrong and ways it can go right, and I, I really appreciate that Eleven Warriors, I mean, all the guys who are on this for us uh, do a really good job of, I think, doing it the right way, being respectful of the kids' space, but also getting the information that we need to get. And it's it's hard to strike that balance. So I think we did an awesome job. I mean, not to toot our you know own own a little too much, but uh, just the stuff that we have on the site, um, it's really cool rundown. They've got one right now where it just has the entire class in a row, and it just does a perfect job of some summing up you know pretty much everything that's gone into the uh, 2017 class. Now imagine being Pantone and thinking what his <laughs> life's like. Right. right. <laughs> you know. <he's, laughs> You know, we're doing it for a site now. Imagine doing it yeah. for Urban Meyer and oh Ohio State, and you can't miss. You have to judge kids. You have to judge their personalities, their talent, how they'll develop. Will it be a fit? Is this our type of character guy we want? Is this the type of attitude we want, the type of competitor? Uh, will he fit in here? Will he develop? I mean, I just cannot imagine the amount of pressure that dude's under. I love Pantone. I think he's um, – I to me, he's like the biggest – Everybody knows about him now, but you could identify it very well early. I, I always called him the ambassador of cool. He was Urban's ambassador of cool. And the second that they stepped on campus, everything that they did when it was trying to make Ohio State cool was all him uh, with yeah. the video board music, with the tunnel going down, with the fog, with all that stuff. It's all Friday Night Lights, all the stuff they do. Uh, he's the brainchild of it. And he has touched a nerve and the recruiting classes are what they are. And this one's maybe one of the best. Um, I, I would. A couple of the things before we get to Andrew, I know we're going to bring him on for some specifics. I saw many people who are the get off my lawn types 
<laughs> today on social media who would 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 tweet out or say on one of their platforms and and list individual players who were busts who are four and five star players. Yes, occasionally four and five star players do bust. And you can name all of the ones that did. It's it's not that difficult to do. It's it's actually very easy because you remember the people who disappoint you. But what I would also say is while individual players do bust, classes in college football do not. If you have right. a consensus top one, two, three, four, five class, you will have a good football program. Nick Saban has won his, I believe, eighth straight national recruiting championship. Eight straight. I mean, as good as Ohio State's class is, Saban's is better. And and he's he's done it now eight years in a row. Now he's a great coach, but he has the best talent, and it matters. Ohio State is the puts all these guys in the league over and over and over now since Urban's been here. They've been competing for national championships since Urban's been here, knocking on the door or winning them. They're doing it because they have the best players. Urban's a great coach, but they have the best players. So anybody who says that recruiting is overrated or whatever, no, it's not. The best players win in college football. It's as simple as that. Individual players can bust, but classes simply do not. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, the, the fact that he's done that that many years in a row is just completely mind blowing or maybe not actually, you know, all, all, all things considered, maybe it's not that surprising, but no, it is because it, and also Johnny, because everybody down there can recruit well, and everybody fair. down fair. there. Yeah. There's a lot of schools down there that can bend rules and have sure. bent rules. Um, the fact that he routinely out recruits everybody in that conference and everybody in the South, in addition to everybody up here, it would be very difficult for Urban Meyer ever to win a national recruiting championship at Ohio State just because of the proximity to talent is not as great as it is at Florida State or Alabama where there's just five stars or Texas even or even Southern Cal. Urban's got to go across the country. And this class, you know, to me really shows that, that he went everywhere to get these kids. I think there's 21 kids in this class. I think there's six from Ohio. Yeah. So um, that, that kind of gives you an idea, uh, and we'll get into the breakdown of that a little bit because I know that's a big departure from where the program was 10 years ago. Um, but but it'll be, it's be very difficult for Urban to ever win one here just because of that, where, um, where Saban, it, it's easier what he's doing, but it's still very impressive because there's a lot of big dogs who can recruit down there, and he just is better than everybody else by a long ways. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the point that you made with Pantone was really important because it's certainly not just a, a one-man operation. I mean, the fact that you've got to have all of these guys working in concert to attract these recruits is really impressive to me because there, I mean, you can have a hotshot coach, you can have guys that you know people want to play for and whatnot, but kids commit to the program, right? They don't commit necessarily to an individual coach, or they certainly don't commit to the college overall. I mean, some do, but the the entire feel, your position coach, everything else, how you're you know fed when you actually go to the uh, uh, to the the school. I mean, all of that is really important, and it is a really smoothly run operation and it's just i don't know it's impressive it's it, the, the whole machine the way everything works is just really really you know just kind of impressive to watch and, and as it evolves over time i mean if they're you know we talk about maybe some like drop off and whatnot but the way they've got this thing rolling at least in terms of recruiting i don't really see a whole lot of that i mean clearly with the recruiting class that they brought in but yeah it's it's pretty well oiled machine at this point well and and beyond that it, it It is a well-oiled machine. They have done something at Ohio State, which is very impressive. And they, they when they got there, they figured, okay, how are we going to sell Ohio State? We know what it is. It's this big behemoth. But at the time, it was not a hip school. I mean, it just right. wasn't. It wasn't, you know, Tress got, you know, the best player from Glenville and a lot of kids from Ohio, and he'd get Terrell Pryor. And he, would, he had some great classes. I'm not taking anything away from him. But they weren't recruiting at a level like Alabama is where you could compete for national championships every year. Urban's changed that. They are. So what they did is they did a couple of things. Number one, they started selling. This to me was brilliant. They started doing this several years ago. If you're going to play in the cold, if you're going to play in the league, you got to play in the cold. Why not learn how to play in the cold in college? I mean, that was a sales pitch. Yeah. That's something that they dreamt up. Nobody else was doing that. And if you remember the Nike ad when they were running around in the snow yeah. on the field? Yep. Yes, I okay. do. Yeah. All of that played in to their pitch of come play in the cold. Yeah, in Ohio, because you're gonna most of the league is in the cold. You think you're good enough to play in the league? You're gonna have to play in the cold. I mean, look at look at where the conference championship games. And this year it was uh, one of them was Atlanta, um, but Green Bay. You think about Green Bay, the Patriots, the Steelers. I mean, just think in your head, the yeah. Ravens. How many teams that have won Super Bowls? You have to go through a cold weather team typically to get there. 
And so that's that's the first thing they did. And then the second thing they did is once they did that, then they got great players. And now those great players have gone on and been studs in the NFL. So now they say, come here because we are an NFL factory. Did you see Ezekiel Elliott? Did you see Joey Bosa? They were developed here at Ohio State. Yeah. And so they have so many things going for them right now. And they took a weakness, which was their climate, and turned it into a strength. And it's all brilliant. I mean, it's just it's just brilliant what they've put together. And it's Pantone and it's Urban. Um, and I, I think Mark deserves a lot of credit. He is a he is damn good at his job. And and yeah. frankly, probably underpaid when you consider what everybody else makes. I mean, he's probably a little underpaid for for as good as he is at his job. And it, it showed up again today where they have one of the great recruiting classes in Ohio State history, one of the best in Urban's history. Ironically, the last guy to have the uh, to win a recruiting national championship other than Nick Saban was Urban Meyer, and he did it going into his final year at Florida. So that's how long it's been since uh, since somebody's knocked off Saban. <laughs> that's that is so ludicrous to me. Like that's insane. It is. No, it is. It's 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 one of those crazy. It's it's as crazy. I, it's funny. I mean, this is a we're getting into basketball a little later, but it's as crazy as Northwestern ever making the tournament. Like, it's just ridiculous <laughs> that that hasn't happened. And it's ridiculous that somebody, Jimbo Fisher, there's been a lot of guys, you know, who have, who have recruited a very high level, Jimbo, Urban, jump out, certainly, that none of them have been able to knock Saban off. I really, I want to talk to, I want to talk to a recruiting Alabama guy. You know what I mean? Like somebody who follows that intently and reports on it. Cause I don't, it is crazy to me. Again, as much success as Alabama has had, I'm not saying they shouldn't get number one classes, but yeah. there has to be like some kind of you know huge story behind the idea that they can just lock down the South like that year after year after. Like there is so much competition. I, I mean, I yeah. know it's saving, but there's so much competition, and That's for them right. to do that is just absurd to me. You saw saving at a chopper, didn't you? This year, yeah. <laughs> like like all great. of it's insane. The whole it's, thing's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So those are the broad strokes. We're going to bring on Andrew and and get into some of the specifics of this signing day class now. Let's do it. All right. Andrew Lynn joining us and let, let's get right to it. And I'm going to give you kind of the way that, you know, the way that I view this from a guy who's not doing this on a day-to-day basis like you are. To me, when I look back on this class, aside from the overall talent and the average amount of stars and all those things, to me, this will be the Tate Martell class. And and the reason it'll be the Tate Martell class is because this was the Danny Clark class. <laughs> and and Danny Clark was sent packing and it became the Tate Martell class. And then he worked with Ohio State and helped recruit this class and built relationships. And 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 so when I think back on this class, that that's the name that will come to mind. What what will come to mind for you on on this class for Ohio State? I mean, I I would agree with that. I mean, there was there was a point in time where he had a whiteboard that had 20 names on it and they were all you know five or very high four-star prospects and you know they ended up landing a number of them but without his influence you can't say that they wouldn't have gotten in the door with you know a a number of those prospects that's a true story i mean hold on just a second that's uh, so i missed this so you're telling me tate martell had a whiteboard with names on it like yeah like frank underwood on house of cards and he's saying no, we can move this guy. I mean, is that true? That's crazy. That I didn't realize that happened. Yeah, and I mean, they had you know uh, Trayvon Grimes, Tyjon Lindsey, uh, Lee Flat Davis. Um, you know, I kind of came in right around that time, right after Davis committed. Um, but you know, there, there was a list of, of twenty or so kids that he said we want these kids, and you know, each one of them considered Ohio State thereafter. How how quickly did that all develop? I mean, the dude committed in June, right? So, did, was he on people before that? Was he just like as soon as you know he signed on, he started to you know pound sand for the you know for Ohio State? Like, how did that work? Yeah, see, and it's it's kind of interesting just because he was at Texas A and M before. So, right. You know, how much was he? How much was he necessarily recruiting these kids to Texas A and M? Don't yeah. know that they necessarily that necessarily have the same same pull, but you know they also have Kevin Sumlin and. You know, a lot of people wanted to play for him. So I'm sure he was already, you know, he, he saw these kids in seven-on-seven camps. He saw them at, you know, various Nike things and Adidas things and stuff like that. So, you know, he already knew them. And, and that's the thing, too. Like, all these kids, they grow up, you know, with, with following each other on Twitter, you know, messaging each other, texting each other and all that. So, you know, no matter where you are in the country, I mean, he was in Las Vegas, but he was good friends with, with Trayvon Grimes, who's in Florida, 
you know, so it's, it's just one of those things that technology allows for them to have those relationships and immediately, you know, it, it doesn't matter where they're at. It's, oh, we, he, he knows them. He, you know, the, the kid knows us. We know him. We're going to go after him. I feel like I need to put together like a timeline of when all these guys started to commit and like just follow Tate Martell's, you know, influence on the rest of the class. You know what I mean? Like, has he permeated throughout the college football world? I think that's crazy. This is crazy too. You know, if you think about it, most of the class was already committed before Martell even got on. I want to say they were roughly 14, 15, um, because he would have committed in June. Then Davis, uh, Lindsey and Grimes were in, in August, and then there wasn't really anything until, I believe, until Browning committed in December. So it's not like there was a whole lot of, of stuff that went on, but he just brought like a renewed, or you know, renewed attention to Ohio State, and just mm. that that, you know, you know what's interesting, the fact that uh, they were the, the, excited about it. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, the, he he. And, and what's interesting to me is, is the other thing that jumps out to me. And by the way, if if you if you think that's a theme this year with Martell, you'll see it again next year with Emory Jones, as we talked about oh, last absolutely. year, last week. Like, Crass, the fact that there's all those Georgia kids, you know, right? Like, they know each other because they go to high school together, they play against each other, so it, that's right. It, it makes it even more more important to have those relationships. All right. The next thing that that, that jumps out to me as if you're building headlines, and this is headline one A. And that is that there are six kids by my count from the state of Ohio in this class and five kids in this class from the state of Texas. And if, I think if you went back in Ohio State history, I don't know if you'd ever see a class with that few number of Ohio kids in conjunction with that many kids from the state of Texas of all places. Now, the reason the Texas thing happened is, is pretty clear uh, that there was a vacuum at the University of Texas and Urban took advantage. He had, you know, he'd built, in, built inroads in there before with Herman and those inroads continue with with Beck, and so he was able to go down to Texas and and was able to work that. But the lack of number of Ohio recruits is that is something that old school Buckeye fans Andrew will worry about. That when there are great Buckeyes, they in the state of Ohio, they will not come to Ohio State because potentially Urban has burnt bridges. I think that's a myth. Um, but as you talk to coaches throughout the state, is there a concern for the coaches in the state of Ohio that Urban isn't taking enough from the state? Not really. I mean, he said today that he wanted to have the class at fifty percent Ohioans, but in some years, you know, are, are you gonna are you gonna take the kid from out of state who's better than the kid who's in state just because, you know? I mean, obviously you're gonna take the the kid from out of state; he's better. But are you gonna say, well, we'd rather have this Ohioan so that we don't burn a bridge, or think that we're burning a bridge, and even though he might be not as talented as the out of state kid. You know, I don't think it's really an issue. Um, I think this year, just the talent in Ohio is kind of down. Next year, it's it's significantly better. So I would expect okay. you know next year's class to be uh, very heavy in Ohio and very heavy in Georgia, like I said before. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think a lot of people maybe wring their hands about that a little bit too much. I I I, I know the relationships with the high school coaches are always really, really paramount, but it almost feels like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it almost feels like that's getting less and less important the more social media plays into that, if that makes sense. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they the high school coaches were the gatekeepers for a really long time. And now that doesn't really exist so much. You can have a lot more direct communication. So, I mean, do you think that plays into it or do you think maybe high school coaches still, you know, play a factor in that role? No, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, a lot of the whole waving the hands thing is because a lot of people pride themselves on saying, well, Ohio State can develop a three-star kid from Centerville to turn him into a first-round draft pick. Now, is that the wise way to go about it? I don't necessarily think so. Like, if you can get a five-star kid from, uh, you know, Texas, if if you can get Baron Browning instead of an A.J. Hawk coming out of high school, who are you going to (laughs) take? You know, just because he's from Ohio, you know, I don't. I don't know. Do you want to compete for national championships every year? Do you want to say, well, we have eighty-five percent of our team made up of homegrown kids? Now, the counter to I that, it's the former. What the what the counter to that will be? And I'm not saying this is me. I'm talking. There will be a segment of the population that listens to this that loves Ohio State and believes it. That will say, the people from outside of the state, and we see this. We saw this with basketball with Thad. That the the when you chase the big star kids out of the state, and I'm I'm not. 
disagreeing with you, and I, I, I'm not just disagreeing with Urban because he's the one who's doing it. I'm just presenting the other side. They will say that they don't know what it means to wear that jersey, that that they don't understand what it means to wear the jersey, and that that's something that you can't teach. You're either you know born into it or not. Now, Urban does a great job of, of coming over that, creating the brotherhood, and you, I mean, Zeke and all these guys, they all come back to Columbus. So I think the city of Columbus helps with that because it's a place these guys want to live in the offseason in many cases. Um, but but that's what the that will be the opposing argument to, to that statement. And I'm just presenting it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just presenting it. You'll hear a lot of that. Yeah, and, you know, the kids, as, as soon as they get on campus, especially in the football program, they get a crash course on what it means to be a Buckeye. It's not like they're coming in and saying, well, we're just going to throw you out there on the field. You know, they learn the alma mater. They learn what the university is about. You know, they do these real-life Wednesday um, activities where they have people come in, and, you know, it's just the culture that they're creating around the program. So even if they're not from Ohio, they still understand what Ohio State is about. And that, you know, to me, that that's more important. Well, let's, I mean, okay, so let's say, you know, we've got a bunch of people who aren't from Ohio, and maybe some of the people who are reading the site or reading about these kids for the first time don't know as much about them. What can you tell us a little bit about the personality of these guys? What can you tell us about, you know, who might be the next Tyvis Powell or any of the other guys who might light up just when they have the cameras on them or people are interviewing them, just so maybe people can get a little more acquainted with this class that's coming in? I mean, obviously people know about Tate Martell, but there's like a bunch of other dudes that I'm sure, uh, you know, we can kind of glom onto here a little bit. Yeah, I mean, even talking to them today at the, at the Woody A Center, you know, you could see a, a, a bit of their personality come out, and that's the first time they've really been surrounded by reporters shoving cameras and, and microphones in their face. Uh, Marcus Williamson, he, he's from Ohio originally, uh, went down to IMG Academy to play for a year and prepare for college, but, you know, and just talking to him today and getting to know him in the past, you know, he, he's, a, he's a funny kid. Sean Wade uh, from Jacksonville, Florida, five-star cornerback, he – He's kind of reserved, but at the same time, once he gets comfortable with things, he opens up too. And it's like, you know, each of these kids they show today, you know, they have personality that that you, you just don't really expect. And Urban kind of talked about it today too, um, you know, just talking about saying how the generation of recruits nowadays, you know, they're good people, they're mature, they understand, you know, what what their platform entails. And I think that that's another thing too is, these kids aren't just five-star, four-star recruits. They're also good kids, too. Well, they are. And what's interesting about them is a lot of them come ready-made stars. We mentioned the social media side of it. You don't need to get to know these guys. This isn't a new thing, though. Nobody needed to get to know Terrell Pryor either. But many of these kids have enormous social media followings and and can reach right with fans. And um, I'm always curious when I when I used to go to the National Sign Day press conferences, they would have the early enrollees. I'd always be curious, and I'd look at them, and I'd think, I wonder who it's going to be hardest on when they're no longer catered to like when, when they're at the bottom of the line, they get a black stripe on their helmet. Which one of these kids is reality going to hit the toughest? Did you get any feel of that? Uh, when you were, when you were talking to the guys today, anybody who, uh, there's going to be a, a come to earth moment that that'll be coming soon with them. Uh, not, not really. I mean, Sean Wade did kind of talk about it and just knowing, of, you know, knowing his parents too. Um, we've had many conversations uh, especially following the Army Bowl, I went down to, to San Antonio, and I had made a comment on um, just just in my observations. And and Sean is one of those kids. He's just like he, you might remember back when Terrell Pryor played, um, how it looked like he wasn't really running full speed all the time. Like he right he would outrun people, but it didn't look like he was giving it his all. And Sean's kind of the same way. And his dad told me he said, you know, he's just been such a good athlete his entire life. Like he makes things look effortless. And, you know, that, that might be a thing, too, is, like, these kids are, right. are so used to just being the best on their team, not having to try very hard. And that might make it a little difficult. But they're also extremely talented and, you know, could easily get over that, too. You know, one of the things that we were talking about before you came on was uh, how Nick Saban has had such a dominant role in college football recruiting for the past, you know, several years. Um, what... What is the magic elixir that makes people want to play for a, you know, a, a little guy who's angry all the time and, you know, just like infuriates people and, and can't get along with Lane Kiffin? What is the magic sauce in Tuscaloosa that, that separates him from a lot of other players and how, or a lot of other coaches? And how does that relate to what Urban Meyer is doing in Ohio State? 
Yeah, I used to not really understand that. Like, you know, when when he was first starting out at Alabama and people still wanted to come and play for him, and I'm like, I, I don't understand this. He's, he's angry all the time. Like, right. he, he, you know, I, I wouldn't want to play for somebody who's just chewing, chewing me out the entire time about everything, and that's just the way he seemed. But the more the, – the farther he's gotten into his, his tenure there, at this point all he has to say is, well, we've won X number of national championships while I've been here. I've sent this many players to the NFL. Why would you not want to come for, play for me? Yeah, so it's just it's just winning, 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 and that's so the no amount of like slides and bowling lanes and things like that is going to make up for the fact that you've got a billion rings on your fingers. No, not at all. I mean, uh, Clemson just opened uh, a massive facility right. that has ungodly, you know, things that I don't even understand why they have it. They have a slide <laughs> that just goes, and then you know, instead of taking the stairs, you're going to take the slide. They have a nap room, like. You know, those things are nice and all that. You can show them off, uh, you know, for recruiting visits and stuff like that. But what it comes down to is when you raise that trophy and say, we're going to we're gonna win a national championship with you. We're going to win a national championship without you. You know, it's it's whether you want to come here or not. Yeah, it's. I am so fascinated in the sales pitch of it all. Uh, let, well, let me get you out of here on this one, Andrew. Is there, uh, you have to put the vast Linda State on one of these kids being a superstar, which one of these kids do you bet it on? Mm, it's kind of tough. I mean, well, especially uh, with so much riding say, on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to say Chase Young. Like, I thought you, know, you might say that. Yeah. Kuda, Wade, Browning, they're all future All Americans, future first round draft picks. But, I mean, Chase Young looks like. An NFL first-round draft pick today. Yeah. I mean, he, he's tall. He's he's built like it, and the fact that he's just going to be able to sit behind, you know, the the depth on the defensive line, and he's going to be able to learn his craft and get better, and then just all of a sudden be unleashed. Like, I, I don't see a way that that he doesn't succeed. Last one. I I lied to you. Last one. Uh, Tate Martell plays. Uh, starts at quarterback for two or more years at Ohio State, true or false? I say false. Yeah. But I, I think I think Emory Jones is uh, – it's like JT is going to be here for a year, and then they're going to hand the keys over to Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne right. Haskins is going to have two, maybe three years. You know, where does that put put Tate? And then Emory comes in next year. And, you know, so it'll be like a, a junior-sophomore battle, if, depending on when when Haskins, Haskins leaves. You know, and it's just one of those things that I think Emory is just a better player all around. Kevin's well, right. Go. And the other thing about that is, is are you going to sit? Like, is, is Tate the type of kid who wants to sit for three years and not play? And, yeah, they got a hell of a logjam at quarterback. It's a good problem yeah, to have. These exactly. are first-world problems. But if, if you're the kid, it's a tough exactly. spot. Exactly, and you know, and just knowing the personality that he has and stuff, I don't, I don't necessarily know if, if he is going to want to sit. But I mean, obviously, you know, you want to root for him and stuff like that. You want to, you want to see him succeed. But the reality of it is, is there a time where he's going to be able to come in and shine? And I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, he's, you think about where he is, even even the first year. I mean, it, it's it's a long road. Uh, it, but it's interesting. It's funny. I'll I'll, I'll leave the people with this. Last week when we finished the 11 Warriors report on the television show, I said to you, I said, I said, buddy, it's almost done. One week left. And your reply to me was, it's never done. And and on to 18 we go, right? Yep. And uh, this weekend I plan on having a, a full list of uh, everybody who will be targeting, um, or at least the top targets for 2018. Um, nice. and, and to be honest, next year might even be more talented than this year. Incredible! What we're incredibly spoiled. We're incredibly yeah. spoiled to follow this program and uh, to have you handling the recruiting for us. Good job, buddy, all year long. And uh, I know you won't get a break, but uh, toast one today for, from all of us. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you, man. All right. From the sublime of National Signing Day and one of the most talented classes to ever come into Ohio State football program to the despair of the basketball program. And um, so one and two since last we talked, but not really that. That's the that's the problem because you got 
seven conference losses uh, headed for eight with which that's never had another 10 loss season, which is now this will be the fourth in a row, I think. Um, but the, the, the loss to Iowa on Saturday was just so uh, flatlined. But even that to me wasn't the low point. The low point to me was um, the game against Maryland on Tuesday, and not because of the result, because I actually thought they played one of their better games of the last month, um, but because of, of who was in the stands, or rather who wasn't. And now I saw this game on television. I wasn't there. It appeared to me that the entire upper deck was empty. Mm. But it appeared to me like. And it appeared to me that there were huge throngs of empty seats in the second row as well. Um, you watched the game. Did you come away with the same impression from an attendance standpoint? Yeah, I did. I mean, and the, the energy was not great. Um, it just, I don't know how they were favored in that game. I think, I think some like betting places give them like a point and a half or something stupid. Like they're not, they weren't winning that game. Right. I mean, they, they played really well defensively in the first half. I mean, they, I think they maybe could have done a little better, but they kept it close and it, they, you know, lost it towards the end. I mean, there was a sequence there, I think before the end of the first half where they just kind of lost it. And, you know, I, I think earlier in the season, I was upset about it. Then I was kind of apathetic about it. Now I'm just kind of okay. Tired. So what you so what you just explained is the problem, though. Yeah, because uh, and this is now this now it's a program issue. Okay, right. now it's not this team is frustrating. Now it's not Thad's not getting it done this year. Now we have a program issue mm-hmm. because if you can't if you can't get a crowd on a Tuesday night against a top twenty five team in a desperate situation where you need the crowd behind you and they don't show up, then you have a program issue because the majority of the fans are falling in line with your line of thinking, which is apathetic. And that's worse than anger, far worse. That's the last thing you want to be is apathetic. And um, now I don't know. I've been pretty confident this this whole year in, in all of the talking we've done on it and watching the team that, that the, there's no way that Thad's going to be shoved out or anything like that. And I, I still don't think he will be, but I, I think we're headed for major changes that are perhaps forced. Yeah, And I think that's going to be a very difficult conversation to be had between Gene Smith or AE, i.e. very powerful boosters and Thad Mata. Because Thad's pushback on this will be something along the lines of, are, are you kidding me? I built the program. That will be, it will be something along those lines. That will be his pushback on this, and, and he will have a point. But we also now have four straight years of 10 losses, uh, a long way from being a national championship contender, uh, a Final Four contender. you got to go back to Deshaun Thomas's senior year talking that. So that's a long ways now. I mean, this, is, this isn't you know two years of struggles. This is now four straight 10-loss 10, 10 seasons, and, and this year you're not going to play in any tournament at all. So – that was the depressing kind of reality of um, of Tuesday. And that's why, even though it was a better performance than some of the performances, that I, certainly than the performance I saw at Iowa, but the, the, the big picture program issue kind of hit me over the head because it, to have <laughs> that, I've never seen that place that empty yeah. for a game against a top 25 team that meant so much. And it was oh. a ghost town. Ohio State's got a high state basketball has to earn excitement. You know, like they, it's not the football team where you can have a down year and then come back the next year and then everybody's like, yeah, it's football. Yeah, let's go out. Let's have a good time. Like the team has to string together success for people to have that kind of interest in the program. It's not automatic. And when you have several down years in a row, you've got to have several good years in a row to build it back up. And it's just, it's, it's the same problem that pretty much every other school has with football. Uh, But I think they just kind of accept that. And, you know, obviously we're spoiled for several years with the program that Ohio State basketball had, but I I think people took for granted the idea that people would just come out because it's basketball. And that's not the way it works. People just don't have the same attachment to the sport that you might have at another school. So You've got to earn it back, and I think that mod is capable of getting that done. But on the other hand, you can't keep losing kids in state. Um, you know that that aren't even taking a second look at Ohio State. You've got to mix it up a little bit, and you've got to field entertaining uh, an entertaining team. And if you don't have that, then people aren't going to come out, and it, they're not going to be attracted simply because it's basketball. And that's the long. No, short. they're not. And I think he probably thought he was past that. Yeah, 
I, I mean, too. look, it's never been great. It's never been great, even at the heyday. Um, aside from you know four or five games a year, whether it was when Michigan State or Wisconsin came in, or you know Duke came in the one year when they were ranked one and two, and yeah. LeBron and Dwayne Wade were there courtside. I mean, like there's been a few of those, you know, during the heyday of the Thad time. But but even during the the best of times, I remember there being thousands of empty seats for Evan Turner's final game against Illinois. Right. Thousands of empty seats. He was a national player of the year. People just weren't. So so you you have built in disadvantages. I get that. Um, but, but now this is something else. And, and I think Thad probably, if you, if you hooked him up to a lie detector would say that he thought he was past this from mm-hmm. a program standpoint. And I think, right. The program is off the rails and there's, there's no quick fix here because if you look at what they're doing in recruiting, they're not in on the guys who can turn this thing around with the flip of a switch. If you remember blue chips, it reminds me of Pete Bell, you know, like, <laughs> you know, he like, will will he go sell Ricky Rowe a, a, a tractor? You know, I mean, will he get him a tractor? Will he get Penny Hardaway's mom a job and, uh, you know, Neon Boudot something like, I mean, that's kind of where we're headed, it seems to me. And, yeah. and, and that's, a, that's sad to me a little bit because there, there was a time when Ohio State basketball, and it's not that distant the future, but there was a time when Ohio State basketball was something you went. I can't wait to see John Diebler hit six threes and um, and Selinger and Tom. I mean, just so many guys. That to me, that's the heyday. Where's that run? And and we're now a long ways away from it. And Thad's probably going to have to change a lot of the way he goes about his program. And I'm guessing assistant coaches are going to be fired and let go and or forced to get other jobs. Because I don't think you're going to fire Thad this off season. But big changes will have to come to his staff, and that'll be hard for him. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, we've talked about this, and I don't want to rehash it too much but i think maybe there are some systemic things where you're talking about where you play and maybe how the team is kind of marketed in certain ways like i know they've they've tried to make it a little more exciting but it doesn't feel like they have the same kind of handle on how to appeal to people that you know the football team does and you're not going to be the football team high state basketball is not going to be a high state football but you've got to have a more you got to have a better strategy and that's not the expectation though right i don't think anybody think we're not kentucky expectation but i just think that's the effort that's what the intention has to be i mean i don't i don't expect them to get to that point but you gotta think they should be like don't you think you like you could i think it's reasonable to think ohio state basketball should be michigan state basketball oh sure i think that's case i don't think it'd be duke wisconsin basketball no not duke not kansas not kentucky right but But they should be yeah yeah, that's. I think that's a reasonable expectation with facilities, talent in the state. Yeah, yeah. I, to me, that's you know, win a national championship but, every fifteen, twenty years. That's that makes sense. And those and, teams and have not, an identity, though, and and that's what I'm saying. Well, they do. They develop. You that's that's it. You know, that's Michigan it. State's Izzo, right? Michigan that's State right. is Tom Izzo, and when you think Michigan yep. State, that's immediately what you think of. And Tom Izzo is his own dude, and he's got his own thing going on. When I think Wisconsin, I think buzz cuts and and tall white dudes, and that's fine yeah. too if that's what is consistent and that's what helps you win games. And you know, that's what we've seen. And with Ohio State, it's like you don't know what it is, and that's not good. You don't want Mark Loving to be the face of your program. Like, and not I'm not trying to like crap on Mark Loving all that much. I mean, I like to a little bit, but you can sub Mark Loving for Shannon Scott, Amir Williams. Right, exactly. It's not you him. can sub him for. No, it's it's a lot of guys who just were vassals who passed through the program. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. yeah, it's, and it's so where this is where you're headed. And this is, you're not going to play meaningful basketball here coming up very quickly. I mean, you're not, which that, I don't know if that's ever happened in Thad's time where at least they weren't chasing an NCAA tournament. I, I mean, was, even the years they made the NIT, they were chasing it. I mean, they're going to be playing games that mean nothing. I mean, the, Bo, the, the shot will be a cavern. Yeah. Bo, it's February 1st. <laughs> I know, dude. As of this recording. Come on. I mean, that's, that's what I'm know. telling you. That's where we're headed. Right. I mean, we haven't had to deal with this. There's a lot of basketball left to play. There's a ton. And I think this, I think this basketball team's got a whole hell of a lot of quit to it. So I think, yeah. I mean, I think this thing could fall off a cliff. Other than Jay Sean Tate, <laughs> I mean, I just think it could fall off a cliff. Uh-huh. I mean, I think you could be looking at five, six conference wins. Ugh. And then you want to talk about, I mean, those last couple of dates at the end of February. <laughs> yeah. Whew. They're rough, man. All right. So that was fun. Um, yeah. But we, I thought we had to talk. It, was just, it just struck me like so many empty seats. Um, I, I want to end on a personal kind of pri- uh, personal note, and that was Brent Musburger's last game over this last week. And I love Musburger. Mm-hmm. He's a Montana guy like me, so I've always had a kinship to him. 
Um, and to me, his voice is synonymous with my youth. Youth. It's some synonymous with big time college athletics. I know a lot of Buckeye fans think that he had an ax to grind. I assure you he did not. In fact, he, I talked to him on a couple of occasions and he loved coming to Columbus to cover Ohio state. He loved the horseshoe, uh, loved when he worked with Herb street. Uh, he, ad- he adored it. Um, and I love the gravity that he had when he called a game and we've now lost to me when I think of the, the big voices and really Keith Jackson, the most synonymous voice with college football to me, the second one would be Vern and then Brent. Those would be the guys, Vern, Brent and, and Keith Jackson, Brad Nessler is going to slip in for Vern. And I think it's good to get him back in the big time focus. Cause I think he has that to him. Uh, I don't think Chris Fowler does at all. I think Joe Tessator could be the guy that that ends up being the real voice of this generation, but we'll miss Brent. I will anyway. Uh, I love the gambling references. Uh, he was a genuine guy. If, if you were ever fortunate enough to go up to him, I've never heard anybody tell a bad Brent Musburger story in terms of him being a jerk, ever. Um, he is a game over, order a Budweiser steak guy. That's who he is. Anybody that I've ever seen approach him in any press box in America, he uh, responds to graciously and in kind. Uh, We'll take a selfie if you want it. We'll do all of those things. I've never seen him be a jerk to anybody. Um, Now, inevitably, people will write in and say that he was a jerk to them, but I just never saw it. (laughs) And um, so I'll miss him a great deal. So um, and I think we're kind of at a weird spot now in college football because Fowler has not grabbed it. Um, he has not, in my opinion, become the voice of college football. I know he's no, on game day I, forever I and he's great at game day, but he's not good at calling games and he has not harnessed what it is to be, to do college football. And the guys I mentioned all did and Nestler will, he'll be on CBS on the sec next year, replacing Vern. This is a big loss to me with, with Brent being shown the door. Now he said a lot of stupid, stupid stuff, including what yeah. he said about Mixon. Yes. And he was probably one of it was probably time to go out to pasture, certainly. But in terms of the way he called a game, I'll miss it. So I, t- I wrote about this a little bit um, last week. And I was thinking about it because I'm not a fan of Brent Musburger. Brent Musburger, a person I don't really have a lot of problems with. I, I do think he said some dumb stuff. I don't think that's reflective yeah. on him as a person. Um, but I just never really got into his personality as a, you know, a commentator and, and as a a play caller, but then I started thinking and I, I realized how much I had listened to this guy over my <laughs> lifetime watching not just Ohio okay. State sports, but just sports in general. And I, I started yeah. going through all these old clips and all of his old highlights. And I'm like, holy crap, this guy is everywhere. Like his career is just unbelievable. And, and while, again, I don't personally like have a lot of attachment to him, um, you know, and what he did is, you know, for his job, I, I just think that. I really respect the amount of work that he put in over the course of his career. The fact that he was able to call so many huge moments. Um, he has the best call in Ohio State history with Holy Buckeye, which I respect yeah. a lot. I mean, you know, I just think it's an interesting moment when guys like that kind of mosey, you know, mosey on. And, and you know, the example that I might give is, you know, because I'm a big Reds fan, is uh, Marty Brenneman, who... Look, Marty hasn't been good for about 10, 15 years. I mean, he's, he's just been an right. old crank who gets angry at players and gets mad at Joey Votto for taking walks. But he is such a huge part of my experience of enjoying Cincinnati Reds baseball that I, I, it's hard to separate it sometimes. And it's going to be really odd not listening to Brent Musburger call college football games. And not that I love him, but it's just such a huge part of the experience that it's going to be... Yeah. It's gonna be eerie. It's gonna be weird. It is, and we're. I, I do you like Tess? Like to me, Tess is the guy. Yeah, I think I think he's great, and honestly, I think he's I'm great. A huge. I mean, I I think um, uh, Nestler and Blackledge, like when those guys were were partnered up, that was my favorite yep. pairing. Um, well, they're great too, and I think Nestler will do great on CBS. I'm glad yeah, to have him back on a big stage because I think he's really really good. Yeah, I think he I gets totally it. Agree with that. Um, and that's what I'd say about Brent, whether you liked him or not, he always understood the stage. Yes. Um, I always love your looking live. I mean, that will never, you'll, that'll never get old. Like you'll get chills 10 years from now thinking about you're looking live at the horseshoe. I mean, you, that is, you'll, you'll remember those, that stuff. I mean, that stuff will, will ring true for, for a very long time. And, um, the, you know, Nestler's up there too. He's not, a, he's not a spring chicken. I hope he can do it for a while, but he's in the sec. So, mm-hmm. you know, for our purposes, we're pretty much stuck with a heavy diet of, of Fowler on our biggest games. And <laughs> I, 
I just think he just he's not good at setting the moment, and and that's the no. thing. He's he's a Which great he's a great studio guy. He's a brilliant he's studio. One guy. of the best. I mean, it's but, him and Ernie Johnson. I mean, right. they're the best. Right, but you put him, you know, live and and looking at the field and whatnot. It's just not. It's not the same thing. He doesn't draw you into the game the way a really good uh, announcer should. So, you know, I like him. I mean, I think, like I said, I think he's great in the studio, but it, it, the excitement isn't there. The like what you do. I mean, and, and granted, I'm certainly no expert in this, but what I think you need to do when you're doing that job is you want to make people feel like it's an event. You want to make people feel like they tune in for a reason. They're not just watching it casually. You're watching something momentous happen. And even if it's a crappy game, you know, between like Florida, you know, you know, Florida International and I don't know who else, like Louisiana Tech, like you want to know that you're watching it for a purpose, that something important is going to happen. And the really good ones are really good at making you feel like there is no second wasted in watching a college football game or any sporting event. And that's right. The ones who can't do that, like you can still enjoy the game, but it just doesn't make you feel anything about it. Um, and it's it's a it takes a special talent to be able to do that. Um, There's and an energy and emotion that has to be conveyed. Yeah, and you and and, and he you know, he doesn't hit that on this it. Person's invested in it, you know. Yeah, he just doesn't. He doesn't. Ha- he doesn't hit on it. And Tess hits on it. Joe Tess stores my guy. I yeah. I think over the I, I'm hoping over the next couple of years he gets the bump to um to the big gig on on ESPN and Fowler you know can do his tennis and which is probably what he wants to do anyway and he's, um he's very good at that he's, he's good at that he's got a good he's got a great tone for that but it's like he did, tries to do football like he does tennis and doesn't play yeah. um do we have to, we have some time for some ask us anything There's a couple anyway yeah let's talk about ask us anything first of all you guys can uh write us uh, for ask us anything just send us an email dubcast at 11 warriors.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at 11 Dubcast. This one's from Alvin. Uh, he's got a new hypothetical question, which I'm very okay. uh, happy for. So if uh, our 2016 football team computer, uh, our computer, sorry, I'm trying to read this, uh, in Dancing with the Stars, where uh, would the stars be on our coaching staff and which duo would win? Okay, so I've, I've never seen Dancing with the Stars, so I don't okay. know how they... Um... Is he asking me to to grade the coaching staff on a number of stars one to four? Think, is that kind? Of- I think what he I think what he wants is who would be the best duo from Ohio State to compete in Dancing with the Stars? Who would have the most energy? Oh, he literally wants people dancing with stars. Yeah, so Dancing with the Stars, right? You have like the two people who and they compete against other groups. So if Ohio okay. State were to send two representatives to outdance the coaching staff, yes, to outdance the rest of the Big Ten. Kerry Combs and Urban Meyer. I Kerry okay, Kerry Combs is definitely one of them. He'd crush um, it. I, I feel He'd like Urban it. Meyer, I don't know if Urban Meyer's the now, dude though. Well, here's why Urban would Urban doesn't suck at anything, so he <laughs> he would do the due diligence to make sure he right. was good. And then Kerry okay. could be his whipping boy. So it, that would work perfectly. And Kerry's so effort would just be situation. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. And and Kerry would just work his ass off. So right. I think that's You'd have a good shot. That'd be you'd do okay there. I say Carrie and Larry. I think Larry Johnson. I think we could. I think get in that. He's going. got a smooth baritone voice. I mean, yeah. he's a smoothie. Yeah, that's There's what I'm no saying. No doubt, he's a I smoothie. I think that would be. You know, I think that would be a good pairing. I think that would work out really well for for both of them. And and really, like, like you've got to also have. I mean, granted, I'm not a huge Dancing with the Stars aficionado, so please don't you know right. single me out on that. Um, but. I would say that, uh, you know, you need to have a good, like, back and forth between the, the, the pairing. So I think that works out really well. Um, all right, so we got one more here. This is from, uh, this is from uh, Dave Egan. He basically says, you know, we talked about this earlier, actually, with the recruiting class not having a lot of Ohio kids. Do you think mm-hmm. perhaps that the staff not having a lot of Ohio ties might play into that a little bit? No, I don't think so. I, I think I think, you know, probably Andrew hit it on the head that this just wasn't a great year for Ohio recruits. Now, yeah. what you will remember is if one got away and he's Levy on Bell, mm-hmm. then you'll say, How the hell did we miss on Levy on Bell and we took this kid from Texas? I mean, that's yeah. what you're gonna remember. So there there may be a couple of kids in this class that they didn't deem appropriate who blow up at Michigan State and come back to kill you. I mean, that's happened. Right. Um, you can't do so, a lot of that. No, you can't. I, I think 
I, I forget the coach. One of the coaches I used to work with on the television show, and I, I forget which it was either Cooper or Bruce or Trestle. I can't remember one of those three. I mean, there's, there's only four of them, but um, one of them said, if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss on a kid from Ohio. Mm. I mean, that was kind of the mantra he lived by. Like, Look, if, if I'm going to bet on these kids from Ohio, and if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss with kids from Ohio. I'm not going to miss on a kid from Texas who has nothing invested in the situation. That's why I brought that point up to Andrew when we were talking about it, because we've seen it with basketball where there's, uh, there's a belief that there are kids that come through this program that don't understand what the name on the front of the jersey means. I think Urban does a great job of instilling what it means to, to the football program and the football players, but that's the thing you need to worry about is to make sure there's always enough Ohio kids there that make it crystal clear what right. it means to wear the jersey. The other thing that I would add to that is, I mean, these coaches are pretty damn good salesmen. You know what I mean? Like sure. they're not they're not coming to Ohio State like wondering, like God, how do I tell a kid about Ohio State? I don't know anything about Ohio State. Like they can figure it out. Right. They'll be okay. I'm not super worried about you know all the coaching staff or you know a lot of the coaching staff having these strong Ohio ties. I think they can go to pretty much any high school in Ohio and talk to a kid and convince them that, you know, you want to play for Urban Meyer and, and in Columbus. So I don't think that's that big of a deal. Um, but I think that question's interesting because I'm sure there are some people who are looking for any reason to explain why there aren't a lot of kids from Ohio in the recruiting class this year. And I, I think there is going to be a little bit of freaking out about that, especially yeah. depending on who ends up signing early in the 2018 class. Um, you know, Andrew talks about there being a lot more talent in Ohio, and that's great for 2018. I like to see a, a strong Ohio in that respect, but I just want to see a great recruiting class. And part of me does wish there were a lot of Ohio kids. I mean, especially because that's how I perceived Ohio State when I was younger. But I want to win, and if that's the kids they get and they're great, then I'm I'm fine with that. And I'm sure they're fully invested in you know the Ohio State University. Yeah, I mean that's their that's that's Urban and his coaches' jobs to do that. They they're looking for the yeah. best players, and they've done a pretty good job of that to this point. So, um, but I I, th- I do think that there are, there will be more people than you think that 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 will lo- have a red flag. Oh, I'm sure. If there's one less kid, that there's five kids from Texas and six from Ohio, there will be red flags about that. I assure you, and yeah. you know maybe justifiable. <laughs> we'll see how it all breaks down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's Ask Us Anything. Those are the questions we got. So if you got any other questions, especially as we approach, you know, an interesting period of time where we're going to hopefully not be so angst-ridden about uh, basketball, uh, please send us yeah. any of your questions to Ask Us Anything. And we'll, we'll answer them on the, on the podcast. Okay, a couple of things. Uh, please subscribe wherever you take in your, your podcasts. Uh, if it's iTunes, please rate. That would mean a lot to us. We would appreciate yes. that a very great deal. If, you, if you're a, a regular listener, please uh, please take the, the couple of seconds to do that. It would mean a lot to us. And um, we, we appreciate you listening as always. We'll be back next week for more fun. Yeah, absolutely. See you next week. All right, see you, buddy. Bye.